Happy New Year, Richard. Happy New Year, sir. How are you? Uh, well, uh, probably the same as you, just uh, spending my entire life doing nothing. Yep. And uh, and now we're going to... No, we can't talk about doing nothing because that would be just silence for the next uh, 45 minutes. Oh, I know it's I know it's very boring to talk about dreams, but the other night I, oh, yes. I, I, I dreamt I was Joe Biden. Well, respect to you. I know, it was really... And it was fascinating because... It was it was on um, as we record this inauguration day is tomorrow, but it was yeah. on the morning of the inauguration, and John McIntosh was there, and <laughs> I was talking to John, and um, I was saying, God, it's probably like a load of people I should text like back in back in England to let them know I'm becoming the president tomorrow, because otherwise they're going to be like a bit shocked when they see me doing the oath. And John was saying, yeah, that's true, actually. You better, like, let a few people know. And then I said, no, also, wait a minute. You, if, you, if you're born in England, you can't be president of the United States. And John was like going, oh, God, yeah, you're right. So I had to go to a news agent, and I asked this American guy and his news agent, I said, is it right that if you're not born, like, in America, you can't become president? He was like going, yeah, that's that all that Trump thing was that rubbish about, like, um, Obama being born in Kenya. So I realised I couldn't actually become the president. So, but it worked out in the end because Kamala Harris just like naturally became the president. But yeah, I was I was up until like I woke up, I was all in line to be the forty sixth president of the United States of America, which would have been very right. very exciting. That's what I call a proper dream. Yeah. Richard. Anyway, yeah. That's I just that's I that. just have my daily anxiety dreams hmm. uh, about. Uh, about being in a classroom with no clothes on or being in a shop and stealing things and not being able to prevent myself from doing that. So that's like the kind of Donald Trump version of what I was dreaming, isn't it? That That's the sort of thing that he yes. would, Both of those things are the sort of things that he would do. So Plus, of course, the traditional ones of uh, all your teeth falling out and all your hair falling out. Mm. Um, I don't know if you get those. No, I, I honestly, I don't generally like remember my dreams much, apart from just sort of recently, this Joe Biden one stood out. And then I had another one when I was in like a kind of First World War sort of trench. <laughs> and they, um, but they, and I thought I could escape, but they set the dogs on me. I don't know who they are, really. But, you know, it was, and I just had this bamboo stick to try and like hold the dogs off, but didn't work. So that was a bit panicky. But yeah, but those are proper dreams. I mean, I have really tediously banal dreams about... The, the, my dreams are all reality with some aspect of it not being right. Um, but uh, I never have fantasy dreams. That's because I've probably never watched fantasy films and things like that. Yeah, well, I've just, been, I've just been reading a lot about American politics again recently, just because it's... Yeah. It's, it's, it's slightly hopeful now, rather than, you know, it wasn't before... And yes. so, yeah, I've just been like listening and reading a lot about QAnon and things like that. And it just, I, I guess this whole, the whole thing sort of seeped into my brain and I was, it looked like I was going to be in charge of putting the world to rights. But luckily, luckily, I don't have that responsibility and nor would I want it. Were you you or were you actually him and therefore very old and No, I was me. I was me. So when I say I was Joe Biden, it wasn't like I wasn't I wasn't Joe Biden. I was me, but I was uh, I was going to be the president instead of instead of Biden and everybody was treating me like I was 
Biden, like I had been, I had been properly elected or something. Um, well, actually, no, maybe it came from, I read something that there was some Q uh, post or some uh, Q supporter that had said that Trump, no, Biden was Trump. There had been some sort of like special face-off type oh, face yes. changing. Well, that's, that's completely plausible. Technology. And so uh, it was actually Trump that was going to be sworn in. So maybe I had like swapped faces with Joe Biden or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go on. Well, luckily we're doing this in audio, so nobody will be able to check whether your face has happened. Because I haven't seen you for months, so for all I know, your face could have been replaced by Joe Biden. So. Maybe, maybe. Um, I I spend my entire time at the moment being uh, fr frightened by things that I read on on the internet. Uh, there was a, there was an awful thing today. Our, our little uh, musician friend Josh Savage from Winchester now lives in Berlin. Yeah. Um, along with uh, well, I bet you wish it was you and uh, Ryan O'Reilly also from Winchester. They 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 both ended up uh, as residents of Berlin. Yeah. He put something onto. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not au fait with what TikTok is, but I think it's you know it's, it's some kind of social media thing. And he said just a, I think quite a very innocuous post about how uh, his um, he's now got one of these a, a blue or black UK passports. Yeah, and he just said something along the lines of he was sad because it meant his you know his chances of touring were being reduced and yeah, all course. the things that we know about. Yeah, yeah. And I've never seen anything like this thing. He, he put, I never would have seen such a post because I wouldn't look at TikTok, but he put it on Facebook and there are literally pages and pages of complete lunatic maniacs shrieking abuse at him. I, you know, not being a Twitter user, I've, I've heard about this sort of thing, but I've never seen it before. It's the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's a very, you know, quiet, little innocuous guy and the thought uh, the thought of all these well, bullies basically sort of and and obviously ultra right yeah fascist nationalist type bullies yeah shouting at this this guy uh in capital letters and no grammar and of course spe spelling uh, dubious spelling oh dear anyway this sort of thing is is supremely depressing and as we're starting the new year we shouldn't really talk about depressing things no let's look back <clears throat> yes nostalgia is the only thing that's saving our lives uh, uh, you know i'm noticing more and more people i got into it early because i had a period when i wasn't really doing much i didn't have much normal work to do during the first lockdown and so i got in early in the looking through old photographs and scrapbooks and press cuttings and this that and then putting them on on online and now i've noticed more and more and more people doing that and suddenly you'll see uh, like today um jim who was a guest in our last podcast yeah uh sent me a photograph he'd found of uh of me and him at the tower arts center and he said it was 2006 but it must have been earlier than that because he had shoulder length bright orange hair blimey and i was wearing like a sort of a cap and a, and, and a blue denim shirt. I don't recall being there at all, but it was it was one of your summer party type things. Right. Okay. Gosh. And it might have been the one where Peter Bruntnell played. So uh, it was in the open air. 
Oh, right, yeah, it would have been one of the Summer Sound shows then. I can't remember. Yes, that's right, that's what he called it. I'd forgotten it was called Summer Sound. Yeah, that was, yeah, 2006 and 2007, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realise they were that recent. I mean, nowadays, 2016 is quite recent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, got involved, uh, you can tell me what year it was, or round, round about what year it was, in um, trying to aid a girl band to attain stardom. Yes. And this was uh, this was my daughter <clears throat> and two of her friends. And just thinking about it today, probably was one of the craziest things either you or I have ever been involved in, um, in the way it worked. Yeah, maybe. But in actual fact, it goes back quite a lot further because... When Annabelle was a teenager at secondary school, I obviously, like the doting father I am, tried to encourage her musically. Yeah. So we bought this unbelievably heavy piano, which it took eight people to get into the house. Mm. And to be honest with you, it's now completely out of tune because nobody touches it. And we should get rid of it. But the mere thought of anybody trying to move it is so frightening that I just leave it gathering dust in the corner <laughs> and she yeah she had some piano lessons and um but never became what you might call a a fluent pianist so then uh i encouraged her to become a drummer oh yeah you probably don't remember this. no i do remember uh, that i do remember yeah. that yeah i bought a drum kit and i can't remember where i got it from but it was a you know it was a, a little drum kit and this room where i'm sitting now used to be like a music room and and we put the drum kit anyway she she just never made any progress so the the kind of beat that you learn when you're first drumming is it's like this isn't it so that's on the hi-hat yeah and then you do you hit the snare like that yeah yeah which is about about as far as my drumming ever reached <laughs> and literally for about a year or maybe more, she had drum lessons at school. And all she had to do was remember on a Tuesday to take the drum sticks in to school with her. Mm. And did she ever remember? No, and I, I think that's selective memory from Annabelle there. I think <laughs> that's just her way of uh, avoiding <laughs> that that particular lesson, I would Well, imagine. the problem was that the lesson, uh, the main motivation for going was that it got her out of another lesson. Oh, which was right. a science lesson that she didn't like at all. Fair enough. So um, uh, she would go along to the drum lesson and not have her sticks. Mm. And then presumably the, the teacher would get some sticks from somewhere. Yeah. But the number of letters and phone calls I got from that frustrated teacher getting more and more <laughs> enraged. She came again today and she didn't have her sticks with her again. Then... She started doing, uh, what are they called? You'll tell me what they're called. What are the official music uh, levels that you can actually take um, exams oh. in and you can be... Um, oh, like your grades? Yes, grades, that's right. Yeah. So she did grade one drumming. Yeah. And I believe grade one drumming must have just been... <laughs> because she passed. Right. And then she did grade two. I have this memory that the drum 
examiner lived somewhere else, lived over near Kingsworthy, and 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 I had to take her there in the car uh, for the exam to take place. I regret to say she might listen to this and contact us with a, with a, with a reader's uh, with a listener's letter. Oh, but, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Um, I don't think she got grade two, and in the end, uh, she got fed up. And I can't remember what happened to the drum kit in the end. I must have given it to someone, I guess. But uh, okay, so this was the beginning, and, and I thought I was thinking at those times. Well, you know, she's not going to be a music star. Never mind. She's always had a great voice, even when she was a little tiny toddler. And uh, we didn't really give it any thought until she got together with two of, of her friends, mm. uh, Sarah Beasley and Lydia Metz, and they made this band called Zinc. Zinc. Z Inc. Or Z dot Inc. Yeah. Which you will remember because, as ever, my dear, dear, faithful friend, <laughs> not only did you design <laughs> the packaging for the it was a cassette wasn't it I'm yeah sure it was, it was yeah. only a cassette uh and i'm certain you must have played on it but you arranged the entire recording session didn't you yeah uh, can well, you remember it yeah i do we did it that martin johnson who had recorded um trip and the cage he still had his studio set up in the front room of his place in southampton yeah. and yeah, we went, I think I must have worked out the songs with the girls on the guitar. And then, yeah, we went down there and, yeah, I guess I play everything on it, probably. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think you said um, at the time you were aiming for a sort of Smith sound because there was a sort of jangly guitars on it, wasn't there? Yeah, it's more like it's the on that track, Planning on Breaking My Heart, the guitar mm. part is more, it's actually more Keith. It's got like quite a... <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's got, if you listen to it, it's got like, um, it was more of a sort of sympathy for the devil kind of type vibe to it, the guitar part. Bloody hell, Rich. I never thought of it in those terms. Yeah. That, that's a, yeah, if oh, you I'm listen, feeling much more proud and confident now. Yeah, it was much more, it was more, more Keith, I think. But it was, yeah, good pop tune. Are you planning on breaking my heart? Is there something tearing me or is it you apart? Why don't you talk to me anymore? Is it true you're heading for that door? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. I remember, well, all of their songs were breakup songs or being hmm. disappointed songs, weren't they? But also, what age were they then? Like 14, Well, I'm 15? thinking 14 or 15. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. 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 And did they not on that same, it was like a, was it two tracks? It was an EP. Did they not do um, that song, I Don't Want You In My Life? Oh, it was called Get Out. Oh, yeah. Get Out Before Day Turns To Night. I have learned from my mistakes. I think it's time you did the same. And, at the time, I was thinking they should be singing about sort of, you know, jolly things, not all these uh, rather depressing being dumped things. And they wrote those songs, didn't they? Or individually, yes. one of Annabelle wrote them or Lydia. I think Annabelle wrote Sarah. them, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then their, their big moment came on my, uh, I think it was my 50th birthday party where they uh, they they came on stage and much to my sort of, shame really they they didn't mime but we had a backing track oh made. yeah 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 and they performed uh 
that uh, the, those songs live. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we kind of didn't really uh, think very much more of it. But uh, at the end of term, end of year concert where they'd done their GCSEs and, and it was the big final saying goodbye to school thing. Hmm. And they'd been doing something and they hadn't really told me about it. And it turned out this was then the new band and this band was called Inner Sense. Hmm. Innocent they were not. and uh, But it was, I thought, quite, you know, the punning name was quite a good name for a, for a girl band. Yeah. And this was very uh, exciting for me because in the school concert hall, uh, various pupils were coming up and doing turns hmm. and they uh, appeared and it was just the three of them. And I, I think they must have had some guys backing them. I don't know. But that was when Hannah was playing her flute so the new band was called was called in a sense and it was hannah annabelle and sarah with no h on the end yeah um all of whom are now mums yep and uh, responsible uh responsible citizens mm -hmm. um and that's when i remember that suddenly uh, being amazed to hear these incredible harmonies that they came up with yeah and i've, I've always remember sitting in that room among all these other proud parents and thinking bloody hell this is absolutely amazing and they sang i think two or three of their own songs yeah and uh that's when i realized that maybe you know it would be worth them pursuing it for a while and it was a good time for doing it because they were all going on to sixth form college which you know pretty much in the first year you you dos don't you yeah so they had loads of time on their hands and they were by now they were sort of i guess 16 going on 17 well and uh, yeah, uh, yeah just about yeah just about 16 the reason i remember is because sorry to jump forward but it, it no. i remember <clears throat> i can't remember whether you asked me or whether it was just annabelle asked me like would i be up for like helping them out in this new version and you or they gave me a tape and this is before i'd met hannah or sarah and I remember Hector and I listening to it, Hector Peebles, the legendary Hector Peebles. Mm -hmm. And there was about three tracks on there, like one of them being Any Way You Like, which is one of Sarah's tunes. And yes. Hector and I were just thinking, God, this is amazing. This is just like brilliant sort of stuff. So, and yeah, I think they, yeah, they would have just been 16, I think, when, when I heard that. Well, um, what was so extraordinary about them was that they didn't seem to be classifiable, which of course I should have realized straight away means that they're never going to be successful in the music business because you need to be fit into some category and you need to have a direction. Of course, their songs were varied and they didn't have a specific direction. But nowadays, when you uh, you listen to all these close harmony um, sort of Americana or female bands like the Staves and the Shires and the Oh, I can't remember what they were called, the ones from, from Hampshire, Ward Thomas. Um, the the sense, as they then became known later on, predated them by, what, 15 years or so. And they had a very commercial aspect to them in that the songs were very catchy and they were all original songs. I would never have got involved in a cover band or anything like that. Mm. Um, and they had this these otherworldly harmonies because their three voices just uh, 
blended which are particularly good for me being a fan of the Hollies because that's that's how the Hollies work. They've got two, three voices that just blend with each other, but individually, possibly not that strong. But, uh, I also, but then, yes. Sorry, I also think that mm. the, the girls have, which I wouldn't say o- o- overlooked, but the things that the girls have was that um, from the sight of them and the music to most people, what they were doing had real kind of um, like a pop sensibility insofar as that they they were recognisable as definitely three young women who had, without a shadow of a doubt, listened to TLC and Destiny's Child and stuff like that. But behind that, they were all listening to things which were, you know, really quite complex and, and, and still hold up to this day. I mean, I mean, like Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Erica Badu... D'Angelo, stuff like yes. that, where which you know, if you listen to those kind of records now, there's so much going on underneath the the surface. I mean, I know I talk about Steely Dan all the time, but there was, you know, a lot of those acts, there was this sheen of popness on the top, which a- appealed to a lot of people in one way, in the same way that the the sense did, um, but. You look underneath that surface, and there was a whole lot more going on, like harmonically and structurally, than than anybody would kind of think. And the girls, because the, they they had all those influences from sort of old school American R and B, they all that was in their songs, but it didn't, it wasn't obvious to I think most people that ever saw them that they they were just like a pop band. Um, whereas there was there was a there was a lot more going on than than just that. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And uh, and and uh, Hannah was playing saxophone as well. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't at the time of very early Amy Winehouse as well. No, Amy would be a little bit later than that. Um, that's around the time that the sense split up, actually. All right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yes, because maybe, well, we'll talk about Grace yeah. later on. But um, so anyway, so there we were. And uh, they they were definitely keen on giving it, giving it a go. And of course, I couldn't resist taking on the management, which probably was a was an error because my experience wasn't in really in that in that field. And, you know, I'm very snobby about the whole concept of girl bands and anything like that. And it was the era of girl bands and it was very very likely that if if they were going to get picked up at all it would be by somebody who wanted to change them and turn them into a into a kind of manufactured type band and they were the opposite of a manufactured band because they manufactured themselves in their own in their own unique way yeah well i guess that goes back to what i was saying about the music they were always really interested in the music i don't think any of them were really interested in pop stardom. No. Like none of them, I don't think, wanted to be celebrities. No, they didn't. They didn't want That's to be right. famous for the sake of being famous. Mm. You know, they wanted to write songs and perform them in the best way that they could. Yes, and and they and they were all sort of you know bright kids who were would have a good future ahead of them academically. Uh, so they they weren't. You know, we often say they wouldn't have had. They didn't have the vital uh strong motivation of 
uh, I'm going to make it come what may, you know, that you, mm. you, 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 you come across with people. I yeah. mean, I, I, I know, you know, personally, a lot of people who, who, who have that determination and who will, who will never stop trying to succeed in music. Yeah. But anyway, so my uh, history had been with uh, live performances. So I did my, the only thing I knew what to do, which is I tried to get them gigs. And uh, in order for them to have gigs, uh, they needed a um, backing band. And initially they, they had like a college band with a, with a wonderful name of Vacant. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that band? Yeah. They were a four-piece indie band. And they did several shows with Vacant kind of doing their own set. And then they came on and, and then they backed. Uh, they were still called Innocence. I, I was looking through some old stuff today and I hadn't realized they were called Innocence a long way in um mm. uh, all their earliest recordings um well i'm trying to remember some of the earliest gigs one one of the worst or the most uh memorable ones was uh the first one we ever did in the white swan which is a pretty much oh, yeah. a dump of a pub in winchester <laughs> <laughs> and i have a memory okay what? we need a pa so you know first of all the the landlord has said oh yes you know we have music and so of course then i went in a few days before and, and just to check it all out and there wasn't a pa mm. and i didn't know anybody in those days who could so there were these two guys who were at the sixth form college who said oh we've got a pa do you remember it It was like to me i, I call it a meccano set it, it was little bits of wood it was like a they'd completely made it themselves and it didn't even look like a PA. It just looked like a sort of something you might have in your living room to play your albums on. I don't remember that. I remember. Oh, God, I, remember I just remember being. It didn't look. It didn't look professional at all. I remember we borrowed Guy's uh, Fender Rhodes. Oh God, he came along and played one time, didn't he? Oh no, he came mm. along and sat in the audience. That's right. That, that was the, that was that same. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. of course we had both Sarah and Annabelle who would play piano. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah um anyway oh my god it was just i that was when i for the first of many times think what the hell have i got myself into here yet again after all my years of disastrous band management in this dump of a pub so there would be the girls families uh and um few friends mm -hmm. probably underage yeah and then the few CD blokes who would be hanging around in that pub anyway. Yeah. And then on this occasion, there was a bunch of sort of laddish lads who proceeded to have a punch up in the street outside. <laughs> <laughs> and the girls valiantly singing their songs with absolutely nobody apart from their friends and family paying any attention at all. So we would be sort of, you know, clapping and cheering. And uh, I remember at the time um, we started this tradition and you claimed that you didn't remember it, but but um, of the newspaper that you were working on at the time, mm. just covering the sense every week. Yeah. yeah. And it was called Sense Chronicles. And there was like a diary of what all, all, all the things they did each week. <laughs> so, of course, I, I, I pretended that um, these boys fighting in the street outside had been fighting for the affections of... Uh, of the girls, in actual fact, completely untrue. They were just drunken idiots having a punch up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! So anyway, they played numerous times at the railway, and then they played at the Joiners. Indeed, I think all of these with 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 vacant backing them. They did the famous gig in a zoo, 
which they played in Marwell Zoo. Well, that was that was that was me and Hector definitely yes. by then. Well, yeah. I was like you know to take over because you and Hector were then the second backing band <clears throat> after after the end of Vacant. Yeah, we were. So, and I think we, it was mainly just two guitars. I think to start with, like, so you know, we could rock up, and so just two acoustic guitars and the girl singing worked. Yes, super. that worked well, didn't it? Yeah, and then like maybe one of us would play bass if we got hold of a bass on one number, and then if there was a because if there was a, a piano there, and you know, then yeah, then Sarah or Annabelle could do that, and H would be playing flute or saxophone. Um, but yeah, remember the gig out out in um, out at Marwell Zoo. That was that was very bizarre indeed. It was a picnic, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, was. Once again, nobody was actually very interested in them at all. No, but it was. Um, they were all good fun. Those gigs, and I mean, the one that I can't, I think you've mentioned it before on an episode, but the one that we did upstairs at oh. At Muswell's? Yes, Muswell's. Upstairs at Muswell's. That was good. Well, that was really funny because I, I don't know why. Well, Hector had a drum kit. And, yes. And so I think I must have been round at Hector's and we were playing. And so we <laughs> we kind of like put it to the girls that we were like going to do this, this gig up at upstairs at Muswell's and the whole set would be we were doing it in like a drum and bass style yes. which I think they thought was quite exciting until they realized it meant me playing drums and Hector playing bass <laughs> and yeah but I remember it being like a really good gig because it was like really you know like a real hard kind of yeah like well, hard R&B should be it was and, and and I remember it uh, particularly uh, strongly because it was actually Annabelle's 18th birthday Ah, right, yeah. And we'd hired the upstairs of this uh, place in Jury Street, which can constantly change its name. I think it's what's now um, the, uh, the the little brewery, Amrick Little Brewery Bar. But anyway, it's called Muswell's then. Uh, and Big and I went in the day before, and the manager said, I've just got to check that everybody will be over 18. And of course, we realised that she was the oldest in her class pretty much and that she was going to be turning 18 on that day so that everybody else would be under 18. Right. Yeah. And when he realized this, he said, well, I'm afraid no alcohol can be served. So imagine an 18th birthday party with no alcohol. So, uh, (laughs) he was on the point of canceling it and, and we sort of said, no, no. And Birgit said, no, it's all right. Um, we'll do a a non-alcoholic punch will be the only Mm. drink available. Mm. So we made this massive, great vat of non-alcoholic punch. And then among all the other peculiar things happened was that Hannah had met some guy on holiday and had invited him to this thing. And then, but in the meantime, had decided that she didn't like him. And (laughs) so this guy turned up and I ended up kind of chaperoning him the whole evening because she was running away from him and didn't want anything to do with him. And I had this guy hanging around. He ended up staying the night at our house. God alive. And then he got... incredibly drunk but and then by the time i woke up in the morning he disappeared luckily having not stolen the family silver because there isn't any family silver (laughs) 
Now, anyway, a, so Annabelle, of course, uh, after the gig, which was really good. I remember, I don't know where we got the PA from, but it was extremely loud. Yeah, And I it was that. like a proper R&B. And I thought, this is the direction of the band. Yeah. Because it was quite um, intense, very intense, wasn't it? And some of their songs by then had got a lot less poppy and a lot more sort of serious minded. And I thought, hmm. And, and interestingly enough, as you, as you well, by the way, uh, Annabelle... Um, celebrated her uh, when she was 18 by ordering a load of shots and uh, whacking them all down and then throwing up in the, uh, in, the in the toilet but it's a rite of passage isn't it nice one Annie we were starting to get a lot of people being very complimentary about them and you know started to think possibly maybe they could do something and that's when I started getting the London gigs mm. and I'm really quite proud looking back on those gigs because Again, I think you would have been involved in all of these, probably. Yeah. Um, sometimes, yeah. Uh, the, they weren't quite pay to play. They were showcases. Yeah. And you did have to do this thing of guaranteeing you'll bring a certain number of people along. Yeah. So the Rock Garden, as then was, I think that's now the Virgin Megastore, isn't it? And Covent Garden, but... That was that was a, a a really lovely little venue. I think Sarah's got a good story about that gig actually. I think it involves food as well. I remember when we really thought we'd made it was when we had the gig uh, in Central London. I think it was a Leicester Square, one of the clubs there. We were on at midnight. Now, obviously, only the cool people are on at midnight. And we were doing a couple of songs. I can't remember what, but I think one of them had something to do with A. Marie. We had a dance routine. I mean, that's when you know that you've made it. And we convinced slash bullied most of our friends to come along. Um, and yeah, by the time that we went on stage, most people had had to go home because it was so late. And uh, we couldn't hear anything. So I think we came in at the wrong time and it just all was a disaster. But I do remember eating a nice pork pie on that day. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. They headlined the Rock Garden and they headlined this place called Cherry Jam in Notting Hill. Yeah, yeah. Twice. Yeah. And in each occasion, each of those, all those occasions, they actually made money, which was quite surprising. The reason being that they would bring a lot of their friends and... Yeah. Everyone that went through the door, you know, somebody somebody made a note of how many people came in and then they paid the bands proportionately from that. So But also that around that that cherry those cherry jam and London gigs, by then the lineup had changed as well because Hector Yes. I think Hector had moved to Bristol and by yes. then we then had Joe on bass, Pete on drums and Green off on keyboards. I was trying to remember guitar. that guy's name. A very talented keyboard player. Brilliant. Well, they're all they're all brilliant. Mm. I mean, you know, not. Yeah. I was going to say for their age, but yes. no, not just for their age. The three of them, just superb, superb players. You know, that's right. Absolutely, that's right. You know, and uh, as listeners may or may not may or may not know, Pete Robinson, the drummer, went on to become the drummer of the Vaccines. Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah. that that's one of the uh, one of the many claims to fame of the sense. So the on the second time they played the Cherry Jam, um, the the promoter came up to me and said, uh, along the lines of, you know, uh, I think this band's a bit special. Uh, would you like me to uh, spread the word a bit? Anyway, he he rang up a, a a friend of his, who he explained to me, and I thought, well, this is bullshit, but it actually turned out to be true. 
he explained to me that this guy uh, had discovered both the sugar babes and all saints. Yeah. Uh, which sort of left me in two months because I'm not much of a fan of the sugar babes, but I did like all saints. And uh, his name is Ron Tom. Mm. And I remember just being sort of completely and utterly out of my depth when this super cool dreadlock dude turns up because uh, I thought, ah, he'll never come. And then, but he did. And he sat there and he sort of was, you know, nodding and saying, yes, yes, sir, this is the kind of act I'm looking for. And then the upshot of that was on the following Monday, um, Birgit drove them all up to London to his flat in uh, oh, Chelsea or somewhere. I can't remember exactly what part of London. Yeah. And the story was so funny because he opened, apparently he opened the door and was just completely flabbergasted that they had an escort with them yeah. uh, and uh, sort of uh, tried to sort of get, say to Big, oh, can you go out and get a coffee and come back later or something? Um, but the story goes that he sort of sat there. In my mind, he was still in his pajamas. He probably wasn't, but he sat, he sat there and sort of <laughs> listened to them. They did an ac like an acapella um audition if you like and uh and he sort of was looking a bit doubtful and because obviously it would have sounded completely different to what it sounded like in this club with a full band yeah uh, and then um legend has it that he disappeared into his bedroom and came out five minutes later having maybe ingested something and uh started raving about how brilliant they were but uh, uh but nothing uh, nothing came of it if only Annabelle was here to tell us her side of that story. So um, one of my favourite memories of The Sense was when uh, we had played, we were about 19 and we played in Cherry Jam in Notting Hill. And we were told that the Sugar Babes manager was going to come and um, watch us. So uh, he did. His name was Ron Tom, I think, and he came to listen to us and afterwards, um, you know, said, oh, yes, I'd like to hear a bit more from you guys. So we were super excited, obviously, and we um, organised to go to his flat to sing for him. So we took my mum <laughs> as a bodyguard, as she always was, and uh, we went a couple of days later, we drove up to London specifically to go to his flat and sing some songs to him. And uh, we sang about three songs and he was pretty much completely uninterested. Um, sort of, yeah, didn't, didn't look like he cared at all, wasn't making any comments. Then he went away for a bit and we were just sort of awkwardly sat in his lounge. And then he came back, followed by a puff of smoke, um, stinking <laughs> of weed. Then told us to sit and sing another song and he closed his eyes and then was getting really into it and afterwards said, yep, that's it, that's the song, we're going to do some recording in my studio. And uh, <laughs> on the way home we were laughing about it saying, yeah, I think it's probably because he just had some weed. And my mum was going, wheat, wheat? What do you mean he had some wheat? Ah, oh, that was a great one. Uh, and the other thing I remember is that two guys from Bournemouth who had a recording studio and they had a backing track that they'd written and they wanted somebody to sing the vocals over that. And we went down there uh, for a day and they recorded this uh, song, which again, nothing came of it. 
Well, we also we also did the recording with Gordon out at um, Melbourne School. Yes, and that was what I was thinking of because uh, harking back to our Tower Art Centre, we never mentioned Gordon uh, as the no, sound, I know. sound terrible. engineer there for yeah. for many years. I wonder where he is now. He's probably still at Mountbatten School. Maybe, this was yeah. a local comprehensive school. It had a really good. Well, you'd probably say it wasn't that good, but a good quality recording studio. Yeah, it was good. Enough. In 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 its uh, in in a back room somewhere. Yeah. And he was the what was he the chief technician or something there? Yeah, head of media or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We recorded four very good songs there. I thought. I think, yeah, four sounds about right. Three or four. I remember it going. It was like a really, it was really quick. And I mean, yeah, we could go yeah. back and do all those a lot better these yes, days. But of course, uh, yeah. Well, as usual, was... I was financing everything, and uh, so everything had to be done on the cheap. Oh yeah, well it's it's fine. It is what it is. But it you know mm. it was it was still it was still a good thing to a good thing to do to actually get something recorded. Although, hold on, well, you're going to like probably work your way up to this that gig at the um at that college Royal Holloway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're coming towards the end of the saga now, aren't we? So we can probably fast forward to that. So there we are uh, with, we we had the, we made an EP or they made an EP of four tracks. And, uh, oh, I'll tell you what was really good. I don't know if you're ever involved in these. They they twice played the Hat Fair in Winchester. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and, and sold um, um, sold uh, CDs there to, to passing punters, which were... Uh, which was quite good fun. Yeah, and I remember. That. I've got a memory up until the, the the final moments of most of the gigs being tremendous fun. Very yeah, drunk. The definitely. girls were, you know, they never did drugs, but they were all drinkers, hmm. and sometimes they would drink large, copious amounts of red wine before even going on stage. But it didn't affect their uh, their performance. No. They did have a one problem in that they were never going to be sort of cavorting sexually around in skimpy clothes were they which probably would have been the only way that they could have been marketed back then nowadays it, now it would be different but um but they they're not particularly good dancers or stuff and and they would they wouldn't never do dance moves together they were just there singing and that was that was what they did yeah but i mean that yeah yeah again it just goes back to the the age-old thing of um you know, show business, no business, no show. Whereas, yeah. you, you know, the sense, like I said before, mm. uh, uh, you know, if you take away that kind of glossy sheen, what you had was like a really tight American style, old school R&B band. And I know, like, yes. you know, talking of that Holloway College gig, yes. which there's lots of stories about that gig, but... <laughs> You know, there's that bit of video footage from there. Yes. Sadly, it, it's only like half a song, isn't it? It's, it's only shame. half a song, but just yeah. in that half a song, yeah. I think that's you listen. If you listen to that now, yeah. that is that is really what the sense sounded like. And, yeah. and I'm playing a borrowed guitar because my guitar got broke oh, in the sound check before I turned up. I, I seriously, I, I'm still feeling terrible about that. And even though I have no responsibility, it was just your face when your treasured, beautiful guitar was found. It wasn't actually snapped in two, but with it was the neck was damaged, wasn't it? Oh God! No, it wasn't. It wasn't my my face when I found it. It was it was in the car on the way in. Everybody oh. else was there, 
and it was just us in the car big it was driving and then i think i guess annabelle phones you to tell you and you did your mr no tact thing of like you could hit you know annabelle was obviously whispering the phone and then you just say out loud with me in the car don't tell richard what (laughs) (laughs) at which point i think like it was like me sharon sarah just letting all and big it all just turned around and look at you and go oh there's something right here it's fine. Like, it was. It was all right. I, I, the the day out. So I borrowed a guitar and played that gig with. Yes. Some weird Fender guitar. I don't know where that came from. And then, um, and then, yeah, Brian Hayward uh, repaired it. Repaired it. Yep. So it's all all fine now. You know, I've never actually heard Hannah's take on that. I mean, that would be interesting to hear. And uh, a memory about you, Rich. Um, so this is more of an apology, which I would have apologised at the time profusely, but, you know, 20 years later, I'll apologise again. Um, so we had a, a gig at Raw Holloway uh, at the Summer Ball, at Supporting Girls Aloud, and we would have done a sound check first. And I remember Rich couldn't make the sound check, but his guitar could. And uh, I think somebody, me, uh, may have lent it up against something uh, where it, it promptly fell over and, and was injured which was horrific and I felt so bad and obviously still feel bad to this day, even though we would have paid for it to be repaired. So my apologies, Rich, um, to to you and your guitar. Um, But nonetheless, it was a great gig and many happy, happy sense memories. Yeah, no, but I do. No, I do remember. I, I'm sorry for being so tactless on that occasion, but uh, I do remember feeling absolutely terrible about it. But then, very excited because it was a uh, one of those big stages with loads of lights and a massive great PA, and it just, yeah, it you know, it felt like this is this is it. This is as you say. Maybe you can. I can see a future here that's actually coherent. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, but then. Uh, we had the uh, the awfulness of what they did next, which you probably would prefer to have erased from your mind, where you and I both stepped back and said, we're having nothing to do with this. Oh, the X Factor. That was the X Factor audition, yes. Yeah, well. Well, I disapproved tremendously. And uh, you've obviously mellowed because you were furious as well. I remember the two of us just being enraged about. This is going against the entire ethos that we've been trying to build up all this time. Well, actually, you see, this is that it's a little while after that because Gracie was already um, an ongoing thing, probably a very early ongoing thing. But Sarah Mm. and I had probably already done gigs before that X Factor thing turned up. And, you know, I totally understand why the girls would want to do that. I just but just to me it's you know music as a competition just yeah me too you know i, I mean and i, I guess i just like, so despise that whole concept that uh yeah again that's that's the the pop sheen that those girls could and in a way did have but you you know the the, the sense were a, a much much better band than than that well precisely much much better better songs i mean actually it's that um i don't think i'm giving anything away but it was the the day of that royal holloway gig Mm. that sarah and i decided to do our own thing anyway that was like the that was like we were standing like backstage afterwards yes going oh should we just like try and do something 
small and compact yes and just like the two of us and so that's where that's where kind of gracie started really. yes and i think you know i i can't remember the any any details but i think it didn't they certainly didn't have any kind of bust up or split or anything it just gradually sort of dwindled and they all had other interests that they were getting on with in life and uh yeah and that's when uh you and also well, no, you said that was later. It probably was later. But I do know that they came home very demoralized because Simon Cowell had been brutal to them and and sort of very negative about their audition. Um, yeah, but, which is, yeah. you know, as as he would be. And I'd, I'd almost, if I was one of the girls, I would have that as like a badge of honor. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, <laughs> At what, least that. Yeah. What, what they sometimes did and what they all have the potential to do musically is way beyond anything artistically that somebody like Simon Cowell could probably understand you know yes. like Simon Cowell's not like I'm sure he's not sitting at home you know listening to Voodoo by D'Angelo whereas the girls were you know they were listening to like yes. proper stuff you know it was it was about it was about music man but it yeah but it was it was and 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 uh, the result of it musically was that in the end uh you and sarah formed a, a duo which yep. sporadically exists to this day called gracie and yeah, a beautiful I mean, beautiful thing it is yeah i mean i think gracie will probably um in one way or the other continue forever because there's no kind of beginning or end well there's beginning to it but there's no necessary end to it at all i mean not not christmas just gone but the christmas before i went down the wickham to meet rob hollandby and just ended up in the wickham the same night as all the girls were in there oh. so like we were so when i was talking to sarah about which i still want to do one day like do a, a full band gracie show and at which point i automatically wrote annabelle and hannah in for backing vocals and other duties <laughs> so it was you know but it was it was just you know it was like a it was really good fun and that it yeah i mean when just i like had my uh, 70th birthday laugh. two years ago um they came along and they did a a, a reformed session for me and uh on stage in the parish hall yeah and uh you were no john murray played john murray played guitar. yeah yeah my my job got taken by john murray because <laughs> I, was, I was in spain i think so. you were in spain that's right yeah. so uh uh, that was a, a fitting end to it all. Oh, well, so that was that particular adventure. And uh, no doubt we'll have another topic of conversation uh, next week, Rich. So, yeah, definitely. And uh, let's is go there back any, to being depressed again. Is there any stuff like can people go onto YouTube and put the sense in and find? Any... Yes, they can. I think there's a couple of sense songs up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you If you put in the sense, you'll find a. You'll find something at least to give you an idea of yeah, what it's like. And I know I keep saying it, but I, I, it needs to be said again. Oh, that, Poppy, like... fuck off. <laughs> Poppy's not the microphone over. <laughs> that creature. Stop it. Right, she's sitting on my scanner now. Yeah, but the tail is waving. That's a bad, bad sign. No, I, I was, all I was yes. going to say was that, you know, that it it was a really good band and some really, really great songs. I mean, Sarah and I still play any way you like. Yes. You know, and it's, it's, you know, harmonically and all those things a lot more complex than a, a lot of other stuff that I've ever been 
involved with. It's it's you know it's it was wow, really yeah really, yeah really good stuff basically. Great memories, Rich. Great memories. Yeah, Ganel. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Now I've been waiting down by the river to see if the last of a truth. I let my imagination run vividly with your hands over me. Touch me. I hope your girl, she don't know what to do with me. Now I am happy to be a queen, just a little thing. I wondered, I wondered if lightning or thunder could break the solitude. Good.